We're reading today from the book of Hebrews. We're going to spend a fair bit of time in the book of Hebrews today, which I love. I'm going to read from chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, always feel free to take one from the back table. Perhaps you just want to borrow one, and that's fine. You forgot to bring it, or you don't have one. We would encourage you to pick one up, take it, you can give one to a friend if you would like. So we're reading from Hebrews chapter 4. 14 through 5, verse 2. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. God bless the reading of his word. Amen. You may be seated. Tyler, thank you for your hard work. Do you mind turning the gain down just a little bit? It's ringing a bit up here. Would you give Tyler a hand? He does a great job on sound. And it's one of those jobs that you don't notice until things are going a little wrong. But really, he's been carrying us the whole way. And we're really grateful for his weekly help with sound. So that's really amazing. Has anybody done any shoveling this week? Raise your hand. A few people. Yeah. So Joseph is out of town. He is in England, in London and Birmingham with his sister, which is lovely. He's meeting her from Pittsburgh, his little sister, Mary Beth, and they are there for his graduation. So I've been doing a lot of shoveling. But the truth is, I'm going to throw him under the bus here. If he were here, I would still be doing all the shoveling. And here's why. Here's how he would explain it. He says, doesn't snow that much here, and it's not going to stay that long. It's going to melt anyways. So why shovel it? The real reason I have to shovel is because I'm a pretty good driver, not like Joseph, not like all the stories he's told you, but I struggle a little bit with backing out. And if I don't shovel, I'm going to end up in a snow drift somewhere on the way to church, and I'm going to struggle. I even go when the snowplow comes around our cul-de-sac, and there's a little hill or a mound. I go and shovel that to the side just to be sure I'm not going to get stuck. So I can tell I'm getting a little bit older because I got a real crick in my neck from shoveling. And it was, you know, kind of stressing me out. And I was walking like this for a day. But then I took the kids sledding, and went down the hill a couple times, which is kind of ill-advised, but really fun. And it's fun. So we're all good. So. As we said last week, we can't, of course, cover all the significant roles of each person of the Trinity in every message, but that comes naturally throughout the year as we preach the word. We're going to highlight Jesus this morning. That's who we're focusing on. And there are so many ways that we could do this. We could talk about, for example, the fourfold or fivefold gospel outline of Jesus. This is going to be up on the screen for you. Jesus as Savior sanctifier, healer, baptizer with the spirit, and soon coming king. These are roles of Jesus that we find in scripture, and this is just one way that it's been put together. 
what we could also talk about key moments of Jesus' life, according to the narrative of Scripture. We could talk about his pre-existence, because he's been here since the beginning of time, incarnation, recapitulation, inauguration, then crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, and return. Those are all the chronology of Jesus according to Scripture. Another way we could do it, we could study who Jesus is by looking at his I am, the Gospel of John, because he actually tells us who he is. He is the bread of life, the light of the world, the gate, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way and the truth and the life, and the true vine. I'm just trying to give you the wide scope of studying Jesus and knowing him in all of these ways, and maybe one of them will pique your interest to study and discover more. We can never exhaust the riches and the mystery of studying who Jesus is, what he did, and what he does now. And we'll probably return, we will return to important things like his crucifixion, more during Lent and Good Friday, and his resurrection on Easter. But today, considering the season of Advent and Christmas, in which we are focusing on Christ's comings, we're going to focus today on two main parts of Jesus' life, his incarnation and his return, which is probably the most important part of talking about the person of Jesus, that he was fully human and fully God, and what that means for our lives and our worship. In fact, the virgin birth of Jesus, something that we feature and celebrate this time of year, is a powerful way to recognize Jesus as truly human and truly flesh, but also truly God. And you might ask, why God? Why the virgin birth? Why is that how you decided to do this? And that's a question we'll understand further when we get to be with Jesus. But clearly, it makes this point that Jesus is fully human and fully divine at the same time. He was conceived in a human way, in some ways, because Mary is Jesus' actual mother. He was born of a human woman. He was born in the flesh. And yet, he was also conceived supernaturally. That's why Jesus proclaims, I must be about my Father's business, my Father being his heavenly Father. He's the Son of Mary and the Son of God. Point number one, Jesus as fully human, his incarnation. Point number two, Jesus as fully God, his return. So this passage from Hebrews, talking about Jesus as fully human, says that we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that Jesus is the easiest person of the Trinity to relate to. After all, that's kind of part of the point. That's part of his role, and that's the point of our scripture passage for today. Jesus came down to earth as a man for several reasons and purposes, but one of them certainly being that he could empathize with our weaknesses and deal gently with us because he was subjected to full human experience, yet he did not sin. This word for deal gently is sometimes translated as having compassion or being able to bear patiently. But it's also a philosophical term that expresses the middle between two sides of the spectrum. The one side of the spectrum would be apathy, lack of feeling or indifference. The other side would be overreaction or emotionalism. So imagine you come to a pastor, you go to a friend, and you're really nervous. And you want to share your deepest struggle or your deepest sin because you really want help. You want to talk about this tough situation that you're going to going through. 
And here she says, that's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Or it'll blow over. Or I've definitely seen worse. That's apathy. That's not really wanting to even enter into the situation. This is not good counseling. On the other extreme, what if you go to that friend and he or she says, what? You struggle with that? I, I don't even know what to say right now. Like, I, I, I can't even process this. What kind of compassion are you receiving from them? You want someone who, who will deal gently with you to take you seriously but have compassion. And this kind of compassion comes from one who knows what you're going through. There's some things you'd only go to certain people with. Maybe you have a struggle and you're like, who do I trust with this situation? Because you know how they're going to deal with it. And here's the point. You never have to worry with Jesus, our compassionate high priest. You never have to worry that he's going to ignore you and not take you seriously. And you never have to worry that he's going to be disgusted or affronted by your sin. Because he understands it all. Being fully human, he sympathizes and understands. But he can enter the mystery and complexity of our souls and know them better than we do. And in addition to that, he has the power to change, to do something about it. He deals with us perfectly. It's such a relief to know that Jesus dealt with the pressures of a godless culture, the death of loved ones. Controlling the tongue. There are many situations in which he had to hold his tongue when people were saying things. And hurt and weary, feeling impatient, feeling the burden and discipline of prayer, experiencing the hatred of others, and every other temptation in its intensity. And that's why we can come boldly to the throne of grace. In the Old Testament, the high priest was meant to represent the best and the worst of all the people. And Christ could not become our great high priest, a representative before God, unless he became a human being like us. So here in this Advent season, this is a huge part of what we're celebrating, that God became flesh and dwelled among us, that he was Emmanuel, God with us. But if we stop there with Jesus, we miss a whole lot of the story. Because even though he came the first time as a human being, he's coming again and next time differently. So point number two, Jesus as fully God. Although we can use these incredible human tender terms to describe Jesus, let's not forget also his power and authority, that the whole world is held in his hands just as he humbled himself to be held in the hands of another as a baby. So I'm going to close here by proclaiming sort of a litany of worship. Sometimes we just need to hear these words, the, na the names of Jesus, as they appear just in one book of the Bible. There's so many more names I could share, but we're just sticking with the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, which does talk a lot about Jesus' second coming and pays attention to the eternal, exalted Christ and his forever kingdom. So some of these words, as the band comes up, will flash on the screen just to help you experience the power of these phrases from scripture and let them sink in. But don't feel like you need to write them all down or comprehend them all. In fact, let's ask the Lord now to speak to us as we read these. Lord, we believe that your scripture is powerful. We want to receive fuller revelation of who you are, that you are transformed.
you would fill us with hope, that you would fill us with confidence and faith as we read through these words. Amen. So Jesus Christ is the firstborn of the dead, the first and the last. He is the origin of God's creation. He lives and he exists forever. He is not only the Alpha and the beginning, but he is the Omega and the end. He is the living one who was once dead, but now is alive forever and ever. He is faithful and true, the holy and true one. He is the faithful and true witness, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the Lord of lords and king of kings, the word of God, the bright and morning star. He came and took on human flesh, but the exalted Christ can only be described in approximations. John, trying to describe him, says he has head, his head and his hair are white as wool and snow. Upon his head are many diadems and a golden crown. His face is like the sun shining with full force. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His feet are like burnished bronze. He comes with a golden sash across his chest and with a sharp sickle in his hand for judgment. Along with his shining face and these eyes of fire, Jesus is himself the lamp of the city of God. There is no need for sun because of his brightness. His voice sounds like the trumpet, sounds like the sound of many waters. His power and authority are represented by the Things that he has in his possession. He owns the keys of death and hell, the key of David, a sharp two-edged sword that divides accurately, the book of life. He holds the seven stars in his right hand and the seven spirits of God. And lastly, here's his position on sitting down with his father on his throne. He receives all his authority from his father. He has the power to write or blot out names from the book of life. He's the leader of the armies of heaven. He'll reign forever and ever. He sends out angels with messages. He comes with the clouds and he opens the seals that no one else has the power to open. He stands on Mount Zion. He will conquer the ten kings of the nations and the beast. He judges and makes righteousness. He leads the armies of heaven. He rules the nations with a rod of iron. And finally, he reigns on the earth for a thousand years. Because of this, he is eternally to be worshipped. So what I'm trying to say here, and what Revelation teaches us, is this man, Jesus, is more than a cute baby in a manger. He is God Almighty. He is someone to be loved. And he is someone for whom we should have a holy fear, a holy respect. We have a compassionate, gentle Savior who gets us. But he's also coming with all the authority and power of heaven. He is the baby from the cradle. He's the King of Kings. So would you stand with me and sing this song together, King of Kings. And this is a song packed with great theology. This is a song packed with worship. This is a song that brings us to our knees. And honestly, if that's where the Lord compels you to go, then go there in the name of Jesus. But let's worship him.